Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beauty O Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 882. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in our Talking Birds audience. Our thoughts, especially with all the mothers in Ukraine, along with especially all the brave women and men there in Ukraine still making their stand against the Putin invasion. A little bird flu update. Not a lot new, it seems. As far as its effect on people, still only one human case of avian flu reported here in the U.S. that we know about, and just a couple of cases in other countries. The CDC does continue to recommend that folks working with poultry with known or possible infections of the virus should follow some worker protection and personal protective equipment recommendations. Here's some good news. The endangered California condor returned to soar the skies over California's far northern coast redwood forests this past Tuesday for the first time in more than a century. Two captive bred birds released from a pen in Redwood National Park, but an hour south of the Oregon border under a project aimed at restoring the birds to their historic habitat in the Pacific Northwest. Condors, they tell us, were last spotted in the park area around 1892. We'll have more about this in an upcoming show. One of the regular components of our Talking Bird show is a featured Feathered Friend segment in which we produce a little produced piece each week, focused on a single bird species. So we've been doing our show for more than 15 years now. That's a lot of featured feathered friends. So how do we keep track of them all? Well, our friend Liz Asphodel up in Minnesota discovered that we don't really uh, when she asked if there was a list that she could access. And when we admitted that we didn't have a comprehensive list, she said, well, I'll make one for you. And she did. She went through all of our show files and extracted the featured feathered friend info and created spreadsheets listing all of the birds and on which shows they appeared. And they're easy to find on our Talking Birds website. And Liz's spreadsheets make it possible to choose a bird and know when it was featured. So we have those spreadsheets. If you'd like to see them, just send us an email request. Send it to ray at talkingbirds.com. And uh, we'll send those to you. Thank you again, Liz, for your idea and for your great work in creating this list. And thanks to your husband, Zach, for converting the spreadsheets to easily accessible Excel files. Thank you, Zach. Well, like other members of our Talking Birds team, our Debbie Bleacher is multi-talented. She's, among other things, a writer, an editor, and a recording technician. And she recently did something extraordinary that made her the focus of a national radio program and podcast called Unsung Hero. That program is an offshoot of the NPR show Hidden Brain, produced and hosted by Shankar Vedantam. What Debbie did is not related to birds or conservation, but it is something so special that we really must mention it here. And invite Talking Birds listeners to visit our Facebook page to find a link to her Unsung Hero story. Have some tissues handy. 
What we're hearing there is, yes, our mystery bird. It's a preview of the contest coming along a bit later in the show. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized songbird with a bright yellow belly, cinnamon-colored tail and wings, pale wing bars, and a bushy crest. Its throat and breast are gray. Our bird feeds by waiting or waiting on a high perch and flying out to catch insects in flight, generally, sometimes hovering to grab insects on leaves, also eats fruit and berries. We might add another clue or two when we get to the contest in just a bit, but uh, just to get you ready for it. Beautiful prizes include a $15 certificate to Beautio Books, one of the, home to one of the largest selections of birding books in the world, and a 12-ounce bag of our favorite coffee, delicious USDA organic fair trade Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center certified shade-grown birds and beans coffee. It's all coming up on our Mystery Bird Contest just a little bit later on um, this morning. Here's our royal salute here. This is to our Talking Birds ambassadors, two more of whom we'd like to thank for helping us get the word out about our show and about birds and conservation. Thank you to Gavin Young from Berlin, Vermont, or Berlin. I understand there's a controversy about that up there, but we're calling it Berlin. In Gavin's honor, thank you, Gavin, and thank you to Kristen Wisgerda from nearby Asonet, Massachusetts. There's another controversial pronunciation, but I think we've got that one right. We should know that. It's only about 35 miles from where we are. Thank you, Kristen. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our Ambassadors program. Really easy to do and helps us get the word out. So just go to our website, TalkingBirds.com, and look for the Get Involved tab at the top of the page. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with the great Ted Floyd from the American Birding Association, who will tell us some extraordinary things about what we may think of as ordinary birds. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in a Let's Ask Mike segment, almost live from the archive, about a cool sighting Mike and I shared on Cape Cod a while back. And up next, with the World Series of Birding taking place in New Jersey in a few days, followed by the Cape May Spring Festival in the Garden State on May 19th, we thought our featured feathered friend might be a good fit for today. It's presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier, premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Some birds are named for places where you might not often find them, like our recently featured Connecticut warbler. Today's featured feathered friend is named for a place where, after it was first reported there, it wasn't seen again for more than a hundred years. The place was Cape May County, New Jersey, and the bird is the Cape May warbler. Cape May! In breeding plumage, the male Cape May warbler has an olive back, yellowish rump, and a dark brown crown with a bright yellow throat and neck. Its face is a chestnut color with a black eye stripe, and its striped yellow and black underparts explain the tiger-themed species epithet of its scientific name, Tigrina. Females have a grayish cheek patch, an olive gray crown, and a paler yellow collar and breast and paler streaking on the breast. The female typically produces a clutch of six eggs. That large number is thought to allow their populations to expand rapidly 
when their favorite prey, the spruce budworm, is available in large numbers. In the winter, the Cape May warbler's food source is quite different when it takes advantage of an anatomical feature that's unique among warblers, a curled semi-tubular tongue with which it collects nectar and juice from fruits on its tropical wintering grounds in the West Indies and Central and South America. Here's our bird's high-pitched song. Sotophica tigrina, the Cape May warbler. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show, number 882. If you're listening live, happy Mother's Day again from all of us here at Talkin' Birds. Ted Floyd is the editor of Birding, the flagship publication of the American Birding Association, He's written, at last count, five bird books, including the Smithsonian Field Guide to the Birds of North America and How to Know the Birds. More about that in a moment. Ted is also the author of more than 200 popular articles, technical papers, and more. He's especially interested in analyzing bird vocalizations, in interpreting birds in nature for children and beginners, and in applying new media and emerging technologies toward the appreciation of nature. And he joins us this morning to talk about appreciating and getting to know some of the birds we encounter out there. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me. Great to have you again. It's been uh, kind of a little too long since we had you last time. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that you've been on the air for 15 years, and I must have been one of your very first guests because it was about 15 years ago. Oh, so my good, to, gosh. good to see you and hear you again. <laughs> great to great to have you. You gave a talk recently, uh, Ted, at the San Diego Bird Festival entitled, Who Knew? The Unfamiliar Stories of Some of the Most Familiar Birds in America. What's the, what's the basic, what's the big idea there? Well, I guess the big idea is that uh, there, there are lots of birds in this world, uh, last count, uh, more than 11,000 species. And at mm-hmm. any given time, almost all of those birds are inaccessible to us because mm-hmm. we only have pretty much in most places of the earth just a couple of most a couple hundred species around us mm-hmm. but those ordinary birds the ones that are right around us including the uh, the really familiar ones sometimes the ones we sort of almost uh, disdain or just sort of ignore <laughs> are just doing fascinating things so it's been a little while since i was at that festival uh, more than two months now but um as i sort of dimly recall the the idea was that we just ran through a <laughs> An enumeration of about probably maybe the t- 10 or 12 birds, with a Western bias, by the way. This was in San Diego, and I'm based mm-hmm. out of Colorado. So sort of 10 or 12 really familiar and ordinary Western bird species that do some extraordinary things that a lot of us don't know about. Well, there's one uh, particularly familiar uh, a bird that we, uh, we, we all know about. Uh, I, I was going to say know and love, but I think the love part might be uh, might not <laughs> fit in there. That would be... Uh, our friend uh, Passer Domesticus, the uh, the house sparrow. The house sparrow, yeah. So, so the house sparrow is not indigenous to the United States and mm-hmm. Canada. It's, it's an old world species. Uh, it was brought to New York City, and I believe right around 1840. Don't don't quote me on that, but around mm-hmm. uh, 1840, uh, sort of took over and. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of made a pest out of itself, and then, as you said, it sort of still has a bit of that status, although it's declining now mm. uh, in population. But even though it's a, a non-indigenous and sometimes pestiferous species, it is a fascinating bird that, both in terms of its uh, plumages and its vocalizations, does some really cool stuff. 
Well, we hear about when we when we talk about their vocalizations or or hear about them, they're they're usually described as unmusical or unmusical chirps. But you've taken uh, the sound of a song sparrow and done something with it that makes it sound uh, not so unmusical, right? Yeah, I think I know where you're going with this. And by the way, you said song sparrow, which is very telling. Oh, I'm sorry, how sparrow? Said, sorry, sorry. But, 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 but that's a perfect slip up there because <laughs> um, it, it, the song sparrow, of course, sings this beautiful song sure. that our human ears you know, <laughs> consider to be very, very beautiful. The house sparrow plays a trick on on us humans. Um, a moment ago, you had the uh, the Cape May warbler going there, and a lot of people have difficulty hearing the Cape May warbler yeah. because uh, it's very high pitched. Mm-hmm. Our ears aren't good at hearing it. Yeah. With the house sparrow, it's something very different. Our brains aren't good at hearing it. So our ears hear it just fine. We just hear this monotonous chirp, chirp, yeah. chirp, chirp, chirp over and over and over again. But the deal with house sparrows and also some other birds like some thrushes, uh, some other uh, New World uh, indigenous sparrow species is that they basically um, – they hear the song much more slowly than we do. So if you can go way back into the memory banks, like remember playing a um, like a, a, a 78 record at 33 speed, and you would hear it very differently. And that's how birds hear. So we kind of hear sounds at 78, and they hear them at 33. And when you slow down a house sparrow's song and do a few other adjustments, uh, you realize that it's this incredibly sort of melodious, warbling, almost sort of robin-like caroling. Mm-hmm. And we know that's there because of the what we call the, the spectrogram, the technical mm-hmm. readout of the bird's song, but we can't hear it. <laughs> well, you did a little uh, a little b- business with that, and, and I'm going to just play this here, just as a very short little snippet uh, of what that sounded like when it's slowed down and, and manipulated, as you uh, described there. Oh. Can we hear that, uh, Jesse? I'm, I'm forgetting that we don't have this really connected the way we normally would. But I'm going to turn. I'm going to put the microphone a little closer and play that again. I think we got it there. So that <laughs> doesn't sound so much like a house sparrow. Yeah, you know, I, I think if you were just again, we're sort of playing a trick on the audience here. But if you're just to play that <laughs> recording. Uh, without explaining what was going on, you, you might guess it was a robin. It has that sort of mm-hmm. cheerio, cheerily, cheer up, cheerio, you know, that, that sort of sing song up and down caroling. And what we've done there, I, I recall that recording now that you mentioned it. Um, and, and I didn't tweak that one very much at all. I think I slowed it down only by like maybe 70, uh, 30%, you know, so, so just mm-hmm. down to 70%. And I think I may have tweaked the, um, the uh, frequency just a bit. So that begins to give us an idea for how melodious really the house sparrow mm-hmm. is that particular recording would sound to our ears as chirp 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 mm-hmm. but it's much more complex when we slow it down well here's something that uh, many of us have heard an american kestrel now this is we're not uh, slowing this one down or anything but this is just to give an idea what what that what's happening there when it's doing that uh, click 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 yeah yeah so you know uh the kestrel's a falcon and, and, and a fairly vocal falcon uh, at that. And, and, and the vocalizations of the, of the kestrel are used in sort of all the usual contexts, uh, chasing off mates, uh, interacting with young, letting other birds know that they're out there. But that particular clee, 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 clee vocalization has a, um, an aggressive function as well. So kestrels um, hunting in winter uh, over the deep snow will give that clee, 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 clee call. And the idea is that it, um, it terrifies the poor little um, – <laughs> mammals the small mm. mammals under the snow they hear that and they're like oh my gosh there's a kestrel up there and um like some humans sometimes do they're, they're terrified and, and well they pee they 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 they, they lose it they, <laughs> and, 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 okay so all right so what's going on here well the thing is that uh small mammal urine 
glows purple in the ultraviolet range. Mm. Again, something we humans don't have access to. We can't see that, but the the, the kestrels do. And the snow uh, sort of takes on this purplish suffusion, and the kestrel can see the urine um, illuminating the snow, and the bird can go down and get the uh, the, the small mammal underneath the snow. So that clee 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 has been shown in the lab to induce a like a, a startled peeing afraid response in the small mammals and then the kestrel goes down and gets it. We can learn about all kinds of stuff like this in your book How to Know the Birds in which you've written a marvelous introduction uh talking about how we watch birds and how that's changed over the years and you say this in the book Ted I'm struck by how much birding has changed over the course of my lifetime especially In the past 10 to 15 years, I'll take it a step further. I'm increasingly persuaded that birding to get today is altogether different from what it used to be. That's a pretty dramatic statement there. Yeah, I think a couple of things are going on there. It's funny, I wrote that several years ago, so things have changed even more now uh, than since when I, when I wrote that. Uh, there's technology, of course, and uh, it's not just that we have new tools for understanding birds. I think that it's a, a sort of a two-way, two-way street. The technology is really influencing how we uh, engage and understand and ultimately appreciate nature. So just the way that the tools we have are so different, I think it's resulting in different ways of engaging nature. Uh, also, and I feel this even more strongly than when I wrote the, uh, the the book, so many more people are doing birding than was the case. But when I, when I got into birding in the 1980s, it was sort of a, uh, a rather, uh, I don't know, rarefied and <laughs> rare activity. There weren't too many of us. There are so many more birders, and especially now this is all since the time of the publication of the book, but since the beginning of the pandemic, um, so many folks have gotten into mm-hmm. you know, birding, let's just say bird study, nature awareness in general. So lots, lots, lots more birders and uh, technologies that we couldn't even have imagined when I got into it 40 years ago. You might not want to answer this question, Ted, but can you give us a little hint about any new material you are preparing book-wise? Sure, I, I am actually uh, working on uh, some some new field guides um, for, with the National Geographic Society. I'm working on a uh, right now on a field guide to um, to the birds of eastern North America, and then particularly eastern uh, Canada and eastern United States. Ted Floyd turns house sparrows into robins, and he's the editor of Birding, the flagship publication of the American Birding Association. He's written five bird books, the newest of which is the entirely marvelous "How to Know the Birds." Ted, thanks so much for being with us, and I hope you'll come back. Uh, much sooner this time. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's do it. In, uh, let's not wait another 15 years, Ray. Let's just do it in the next year. So thanks so much for having All right. me. All right. Thank, thank you, Ted. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. 
Well, unlike the Cape May warbler, there's a bird that's pretty easy to hear, pretty loud. It's our mystery bird, and this is our mystery bird contest. Do we invite you to call in and take your guess as to what this bird is or tell us what it is? In either case, if nobody gets the correct answer, a drawing will determine our winner, so do give it a try at 781-837-4900. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized songbird with a bright yellow belly, cinnamon-colored tail and wings with pale wing bars, and a bushy crest. Its throat and breast are gray. Our bird breeds from the Atlantic coast and westward through most of Texas and points north and winters mostly in Central America and northwestern South America. Our bird feeds by waiting on a high pitch, or perch, that is, and flying out to catch insects in flight, sometimes hovering to grab insects on leaves. Also eats fruits and berries. That would be our mystery bird, pretty distinctive-sounding and appearing bird, for that matter. And beautiful prizes await, including a $15 certificate for Beauty of Books, home of one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com is their website. And a 12-ounce bag of our favorite coffee, delicious USDA organic, fair trade, certified, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Prizes and... um, Prizes and uh, sound and uh, clues about our mystery bird. 781-837-4900 is the number. We'll get to some calls here after we check in with Mike O'Connor, almost live from the archive. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology, from field guides to photography skills biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautyobooks.com My name is Katie and I'm calling from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because it's a way for me to talk to somebody when I'm birding. It just is a good way to start conversation and meet people. It's a lot of fun. Also, it allows you to stay informed about birds and other great conservation topics. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. Down to Cape Cod we go. Mike O'Connor at the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. Good to hear your voice. You know, we don't appreciate you enough, Mike. We should give you some applause. So we're going to instead, though, give you some clapping here. You recognize this clapping? It gets bigger. <laughs> oh, boy, that's rowdy, isn't it? That is loud and rowdy. That is a, a clapper rail. And uh, thanks to you, uh, I got to see one last week down there on the on the Cape. Yeah, it was it was fun having you stop by, and uh, there was a, a, a one of the best birding places, or, or the, one of the best places in the world, is Fort Hill in East Ham. It's oh, beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. and you stop by, show off your new fancy car, which is awesome, and then you suggested that we should try uh, see a, a clapper rail of Fort Hill, which I had seen a few days earlier, and just being. Um, Plight host, I said, okay, well, let's go try to see it, but not really thinking they would ever see it. Bingo, we nailed it, and maybe even heard two. It was it was a great experience. Yeah, we heard one quite a distance from the first one, so we figured there probably was a. Well, were two of them there? 
And much to the, you know, and as the name indicates, they're very shy birds. And we got, we, we were, I would say, what, five, ten feet away, and it was yapping away. And we got a few brief looks at it, but that was that was enough. It was a great day, yeah. Yeah. I think I hear a common loon. Did you see a couple of these also recently? Oh, my God. Yeah, I had just taken, I had a couple of days, so I scooted up to the Connecticut Lakes, which you would think would be in Connecticut, but they're actually way up in northern, northern New Hampshire at the headwaters of the Connecticut River. They're even further north than the northern part of Vermont, way up there. And we stayed on this area called the Glen, which birders have gone for years, and these cabins, and we stayed on this this. We did a lot of birding, but we stayed on the pond or the lake right on the edge. And at night, and everybody hears loons, they go, oh, how sweet. These birds came out at night, probably well after midnight, maybe about 2 a.m. They got in some kind of massive turf war, these pair of loons, two pairs of loons, actually. And loud, it's the loudest nature noise I ever heard. Back and forth, back and forth, that yodeling that you just played and the wailing. It sounded like loon Armageddon. It, 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 I swear it was so loud it even drowned out my wife snoring. That's how bad it was. Wow. And so right. that, that was a good experience. So if you get up to uh, the Connecticut Lakes, uh, stay at the Glen and you'll hear some good loon calls. All right, and don't forget Fort Hill in East Ham, too, on Cape Cod. Oh, that's the best. That is a beautiful right. place. Thank you, Mike. Talk to you next week. Yeah. Birdwatching Magazine has a new membership program. Benefits include detailed bird ID articles from Ken Kaufman and David Sibley, tips and stories about bird photography, access to quarterly e-workshops on identifying and photographing birds, and complimentary print and digital subscriptions to Birdwatching Magazine. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com slash memberships. Boy, I don't know if we should have played that Let's Ask Mike segment on Mother's Day uh, based on some of his comments there, but I hope everything will be okay there in the O'Connor household. Meanwhile, we're back to the mystery bird contest. There's the sound of our mystery bird. A medium-sized songbird with a bright yellow belly, cinnamon-colored tail and wings with pale wing bars, bushy crest. Its throat and breast are gray. Very distinctive-looking and sounding bird. What would that be? 781-837-4900. We're excited to have callers lined up from Rhode Island and Mississippi. And Rhode Island is closer, so let's go there to Elise in somewhere in Rhode Island. Good morning, Elise. Hello, Elise. Are you there? She was there at some point, perhaps. Uh, I hear sounds in the background, so she must be around there somewhere. Let's uh, give her another try here. Good morning, Elise. Are you there? No. Well, I'm from Rhode Island, so I know how these things go. But uh, anyway, at least um, you could try calling us back, but we might might not have time, but maybe the next time around. So let's go to our friend Jim down in, I believe it's Long Beach, Mississippi. Good morning, Jim. Happy Mother's Day, Ray. Happy Mother's Day to you, Jim. Thank you so much. Dr. Jim, great veterinarian down there in Mississippi. And uh, calling in, uh, of course, on our Mystery Bird Contest. And you've heard the clues and all of that. Jim, what uh, say you about that? A great crested flycatcher. That's right. That's not even a guess or anything. That's a that's what we call an answer right there. Great. I've already heard them this morning. No kidding. Nice. Uh, they're a sort of spectacular bird. They are famous for including in the lining of their nest a snake skin. And you relate to this, Jim, that these days, sad to say, they often substitute a plastic wrapper instead in the nest mm, I'll there. see if I can't pick up some extra plastic today to keep that from happening. <laughs> All right, good for you. Thank you, Jim. And stay in the line there, and we'll arrange to send stuff to you. 
you. All right. Thank you. That's Dr. Jim down there in Long Beach, Mississippi, correctly identifying the great crested flycatcher. We are out of time just about for this morning's show. Lots of great guests coming along in the next few weeks here. And I want to give a little nod that we often run out of time about, and that is to our Talking Birds flock. That's our Talking Birds Facebook group. And we have so many wonderful posters on there and members of the flock. We have like 389 members in the flock right now. And uh, good things on there, including from our friend Elizabeth Hughes, speaking of Rhode Island. And she's got this beautiful thing she shared from U.S. Fish and Wildlife with a golden-winged warbler and an invitation to join the national or the international effort to dim the lights for birds at night. Turn your lights off to help birds migrate safely. Please check that out on our Talking Birds Flock Facebook group. You can just go to facebook.com and then put Talking Birds Flock in the search bar there to find it. That is it for our show this morning. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Beecher, a Bleacher, Frey McGregor, our special assistant, Audrey Stack, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beauty O Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com.